The full power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is contained in the Book of Mormon, period. Remember this declaration by Jesus himself. Whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived. And in the last days, neither your heart nor your faith will fail you. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 175 of the Book of Mormon podcast. You've got Kevin and Shelby here as always. Hey everyone. And we are super excited to be back with you studying chapter 12 of 3rd Nephi. If you notice anything different about my voice, it's because I have braces installed on my teeth and it's Kind of hard to talk, but... The work must go on. It does, but it didn't last week. That's why we're a little late getting this podcast out, because the day of, we were supposed to... We were actually supposed to record with a guest. That guest will be on the next podcast, and we are very excited for that. But that's... We're getting the cart before the horse here. We've got to talk <laughs> about chapter 12, and this is a an awesome chapter, right? There's so much to talk about, and I'm really excited, and I don't think it's a coincidence. I I was behind on my Book of Mormon study reading. I read just one chapter a day, plus the chapter we're studying, plus Come Follow Me and all the things and conference talks, but the point of all of this is that I read most recently Mosiah 18, and I felt like I found a lot of parallels from Mosiah 18 to 3rd Nephi chapter 12, actually. Not like exactly the same, because obviously we know in this chapter, the Beatitudes are addressed. It's very similar to the Sermon on the Mount. And so, I don't know, I'm just ready to draw those things in from Mosiah 18 on over into 3rd Nephi 12. And I'm just excited to talk about 3rd Nephi 12 and continue that talk about a covenant relationship that we discussed with Brother Richens last week, which by the way, wasn't that episode so good. I went back and listened to it myself. Thank you, Brother Richens. You're probably listening right now, but loved that episode. So if you haven't listened to it, go back, pause, and go to episode 174. 100%. A couple things that I want to come out of the gate with. So in verse 1, it says, And it came to pass that when Jesus had spoken these words unto Nephi and to those who had been called. So as soon as I read that after, you know, a couple days of, of not, you know, studying, I was like, wait a second, what what words were spoken unto Nephi? Like, let me refresh, right? And so I went back and I reread kind of like the last half of chapter 11. And what, what I kind of put down in my notes, in my margin here, was that Jesus affirmed his doctrine to those who would be responsible to preach and administer the ordinances of the gospel, right? That's what he did. He, he affirmed what was already known. Something that we talked about last episode was like, he's giving them power to baptize. But it's, you know, we're not sure if the power, you know, or the authority to baptize was among them at that time. Because we know, you know, we've got people in the Book of Mormon being baptized at, at several points in history. But he, he affirms this doctrine to Nephi 
and the 12 who are going to be administering it, right? And then now begins his broader message to the multitude, and that's to support his servants, the disciples and Nephi, in their duties, which I thought was cool because, you know, in a way, the Lord, he's, he's at the head of the church, right? He is, he is leading his church and has done all throughout time. And he also supports and sustains his servants, you know, he, he, he holds them up and here he is in the flesh, so to speak, uh, actually supporting and sustaining his servants who are going to carry on the work after he ascends back into heaven. So I thought that was cool. Um, maybe, maybe nothing groundbreaking there to those of you listening, but when I first read that, you know, I, I read this first verse, I wanted to remember what were those words. And so if you've forgotten them, like Shelby said, go back and read chapter 11 to, to get caught up on that. Something that I picked up on through this reading and in contrast with Mosiah chapter 18, as I mentioned earlier, which is where Alma is baptizing at the waters of Mormon. And later when they unite with uh, the people of Limhi, there's also another gathering and doctrine is also taught as well. So with those two things in mind, something that I found here too was obviously the first thing talked about is baptism, right? Um, and it says, therefore, blessed are ye if ye shall believe in me and be baptized. That's at the end of verse two, which obviously is coming to know our savior better and to build a relationship with him. And the same thing happens in big gatherings of people, even when the savior's not there. So when Alma, a prophet, right? Or a leader in the church is called, he also is inviting people to come unto Christ and be baptized. And same when the people of uh, Limhi come together, they are also invited to be baptized. And so there's just this powerful, it's just powerful to know that the first thing always is baptism and understanding where that power and authority comes from in order to baptize. And that's just important to know. And the believing of baptism, right? Believing on the words that are spoken either of Christ himself or of the people that he has called to speak for him. So, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Something else that I did at the very beginning of my studies of this chapter was to go and, um, I guess, refresh or recall or study what the word blessed means. Right. What does it mean to be blessed or to be blessed? Right. We talk about and this whole this whole chapter is going to have a bunch of blessed are, you know. And so I thought, well, I need to go and figure that out, that out like first so I can keep that in mind as I study. And so we've already seen it once there um, at the end of verse one. And then verse two comes in again saying again, more blessed are they 
who shall believe in your words, because that ye shall testify that ye have seen me and that ye know that I am. So I went to the guide to the scriptures to bless, blessed, and blessing. And it says to confer, confer divine favor upon someone. Anything contributing to true happiness, well-being, or prosperity is a blessing. And it says all blessings are based on eternal laws. Because God wants his children to find joy in life, he grants blessings to them as a result of their obedience to his commandments in answer to a prayer or priesthood ordinance or through his grace. It says a well-known list of statements about blessedness is the Beatitudes. <laughs> and it cites Matthew 5 uh, in the New Testament and 35, 12 here in the Book of Mormon. Which, let's go ahead and read those. Blessed are the poor in spirit, who come unto me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Actually, pause. I I wanted to talk more about the blessing. <laughs> yeah. The word blessed. I feel like we skipped over that. Um, you had a thought. Go ahead. Something that hit me as I was preparing for this podcast episode, and as I... As I just as I thought about this sermon that Jesus gives to the Nephites here, if we go back to the heading, it says, he delivers to the Nephites a discourse similar to the Sermon on the Mount. It's not word for word the same. And I didn't go into every instance where wording changed, but I did in a few parts, and they were significant right, to me. And then also what I wanted to say, you know, with regard to that is not that it was recorded differently. It's, we know that the translation was off a little bit, you know, in the New Testament versus the Book of Mormon. So that will cause some differences. But I want to... I want you to think about the Savior as he is among the Nephites versus how he was delivering this same sermon to the people in the old world. I mean, right now he's he's resurrected, right? Mm -hmm. At least that's what we believe. That's what there's there's some debate exactly on what and, you know, when did he appear to these people and like in relation to um when he appeared to mary and then appeared to his disciples well if you want to get into the weeds of that i believe because they could touch him and feel his scars that he had indeed been resurrected and ascended to his father in heaven at that point okay so Exactly. With that being said, you know, here's the resurrected Lord, and he's he has overcome all things, right? If you think of it, him giving this sermon on that mountain in in and around you know Galilee, right? Um, he was still the mortal Jesus who had not atoned for all the sins of the world 
Now, in a in an eternal sense, he had because it's retroactive, right? But think about it. He's coming to these people now having overcome, having proved everything that God said would happen has happened. So, you know, not that Jesus in mortality was not an authoritative voice on the matter, but the fact that he comes and delivers this sermon again now in uh, in resurrected glory being the redeemer having redeemed all mankind from adam all the way to the ends of the earth it makes it a little bit more powerful to me when i think of who is speaking these words and what he has done yeah i think i think that's very powerful and when you first said, you know, picture Christ speaking to the people here versus people in Jerusalem, I I don't know why, but I never really thought about it. Because obviously in Jerusalem, none of that had happened yet. And there was a lot of persecution. And um, I guess you could say, what's the word? Persecution and temptations and things going on there in Jerusalem and Opposition, that's the word. Opposition going on there. But also, these people had opposition too. I mean, they just suffered through destruction. And in a way, they also overcame the the opposition, right? The right. the great calamities that fell. They they're those who were spared. Right. So in you know, I, I didn't necessarily think about it before, but you know, they have this special relationship with the savior even even more so because of what they've gone through they've overcame you know not only did they overcome the temptation uh to you know just join the crowd and sin along with everybody else but they have actually also overcome or overcame the you know the the physical uh destruction that was rent yeah well, and so why why do we think, I guess this is an open question, I don't really have an answer, but why do we think that immediately after talking about coming unto him, believing in his words, and being baptized, do we then get these B attitudes? You know, why why is that next? This isn't a definitive answer, but because we just read that statement from the Guide to the Scriptures, where you know um god grants blessings to them as a result of their obedience to his commandments and in answer to a prayer or priesthood ordinance you know he's he's telling them to come unto him you know through his his disciples right to his servants be baptized and then talks about the the blessings that come from those who you know, follow the higher law, who, who, you know, that, that's what he's come to do, as he'll say later in this, in this chapter, he's come to fulfill the law of Moses. And so these blessings are reserved for those who walk the higher law and enter into the covenant that he has given, the, given them, the new covenant. The higher law. 
higher, holier, and crazier. Just kidding. <laughs> if, yeah, if you never saw that episode back with Brandis, y'all, I, I don't even know what episode it is, but we'll link it in the show notes. Yeah. So good. Go listen to it. It's higher, holier, and crazier. Okay. So back to the blessed things. Thank you so much for that answer, I guess, because I was sitting here thinking, I don't really have an answer. However, I know the spirit does. The other thing that I wanted to point out about these blessed are ye, or who they all are, as we read through them, as Kevin said, these are the higher and holier things. And so being poor in spirit, mourning, uh, being meek, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, being merciful, being pure in heart, peacemakers, those who are even persecuted for Christ's name. All of these things are blessings and they have something with them. For example, when you're merciful, you obtain mercy, right? When you're a peacemaker, you're called a child of God. There's just so many things that come with it that are very interesting. We could spend (laughs) probably an entire podcast on each one, but we won't do that because we don't have the time. But definitely read them and ponder them and find the ones that stick out to you. In a future read-through of the Book of Mormon, we can focus on only the passages where Jesus spoke. Mm. And then we can really go deep into the Beatitudes in that one. Look forward to it in 2027. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, let's move on a little bit. What do you think? Yeah. Because, I mean, frankly, this is in, this is also in the New Testament, right? And not that we don't, oh, we don't have time to talk about things that are in the New Testament. I think there's, there are some things that I want to talk about in the Beatitudes. In verse 17 and 18, it's what I did highlight, but it's something that I already discussed just now, right? He's saying, Think not that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill, right? And then he does declare that, um, behold, I give unto you, or I, I have given you the law and the commandments of my father, that you shall believe in me and that you shall re- repent of your sins and come unto me with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Behold, a covenant, uh, excuse me. <laughs> maybe a Freudian Freudian slip. Mm -hmm. Behold, ye have the commandments before you, and the law is fulfilled. And so again, he's saying, you know, this this law that you followed, uh, this law of sacrifice, you know, in the law of Moses, that's fulfilled through my sacrifice, my atonement. Again, I've done it. I've taken care of that. Now, what you need to do is what, what I've been talking about, my doctrine, and again, what is a doctrine? A doctrine is more than a principle. It's, a, it's something essential for our salvation, right? So baptism and first qualifying for baptism by repenting and then re- being baptized, being cleansed by the Holy Ghost, which only Christ can do. Um, and in this regard, you know, he is, he has the Melchizedek priesthood, right? Yeah. So, and Christ, he says, therefore, 
Come unto me and be ye saved, in verse 20. For verily I say unto you, that except ye shall keep my commandments, which I have given you at this time, ye shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. And I actually linked that to uh, way back when, in First Nephi chapter 2, verse 20, which is the first time that we heard, Inasmuch as you shall keep my commandments, you shall prosper. You shall be led to a land of promise. Yea, even a land which I have prepared for you. Yea, a land which is choice above all other lands. And I never connected this, this idea of entering into the kingdom of God as a result of obedience to commandments that the Lord has given and that God has has given, and, you know, hey, keeping the commandments, and then prospering, even being led to a promised land, and then prospering in the land. And that was a very powerful uh, connection, because here Christ is speaking to the descendants of people who, you know, although they struggled, they they did remain faithful enough there were there were more faithful and righteous people who kept the commandments and prospered in the land than who didn't and so here they are and they've they've again they've overcome 600 years of of trials and and afflictions and sin right and all these oppositions and they've come out, um, you know, to the point where where they're meeting their savior, right? And they and they will be prospered exceedingly, in as much as they continue to keep the commandments that he's given them. And we see ultimately, uh, as the Book of Mormon storyline, you know, or, uh, timeline spans out, that it is only by uh, disobedience that they were finally cut off and then finally destroyed. So so I want to jump back because there's t- there's two verses, two topics that I love. And it's verses 13, but it's also verse 14 through 16. Mm-hmm. Or so basically 13 through 16. The first one is obviously the one in the New Testament. It talks about, um, I give unto you to be the salt of the earth, but if the salt shall lose its savor, wherewith shall the earth be salted? And then it says, the salt shall be thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. So I, I will admit this, but this took me a little bit to understand what Christ meant about salt and savor and all these things. And the word savor means like taste, it's pleasing, it has intense quality, things like that. And when you're talking about when you put it into the context here, he's like, I give unto you be this, to be the salt of the earth. You are the ones that are to be essentially different, to give high flavor, right? To give things to the world that the world doesn't have, right? But through me, they can have, they can be the salt of the earth. And so he's saying, if you lose that savor, if you lose what I've given you, if you lose being and acting through me, right? Then 
wherein shall the earth be salted? It won't be good for anything. If if there's nothing there, it's 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 good for nothing. So he's saying, you will be the salt of the earth because I sent you here, right? Like this covenant relationship, you're here because I knew that you could be here and be that salt, be that different, peculiar, unique people. But it also has... um. Like here's here's a quote. I, I can't remember where this is from. It's probably from the Book of Mormon Book of Mormon Student Manual, but it says, A world renowned chemist told me that salt will not lose its savor with age. Savor is lost through mixture and contamination. Similarly, priesthood power does not dissipate with age. It too is lost through mixture and contamination. So there's also a, a priesthood here, right? Where we've had uh, what are they called? Not reigns. <laughs> I mean, it started with Adam. Dispensations. Thank you. We have dispensations of the gospel. And, you know, the priesthood eventually was either taken or, quote unquote, contaminated, right? But we know something that gives me so much hope is that in these last days, the the salt, the priesthood, us, covenant people, we will not be contaminated, right? If we choose not to. We can be the Lord's covenant people. We will hold, well, you know, the men hold and bear the priesthood and women will exercise the authority of it with their husbands. So I don't know. It's just really cool to think about, which goes in line with being a light. I feel like these two things just go so hand in hand. You cannot not, (laughs) what's the word? You cannot not be salt and also not be a light. Like they go together, salt and light right? There's a song by Lauren Daigle. She's a Christian artist. It's called Salt and Light. It's a beautiful song. I love meditating to it. So if you want to go listen to it, go and listen to it. It's wonderful. But Salt and Light, it's it's a beautiful thing. They just go hand in hand together. And so don't ever, ever dim your light because it's the light of Christ. So don't don't ever be shy. Well, you can be shy, but don't back down right? Don't shy away from the task in a sense. Step up because you are a child of God. You have his promise and that is what you can trust in and act confidently in. And so that also helps build your relationship with Christ. As you become more of his light and become more of the salt, you then have more confidence because you know it is and who you trust. So those are just some thoughts I had that I had to share that I, I just feel very passionately about. Yeah, absolutely. I also have other thoughts, but they're towards the end of the chapter. So if you have anything in between, you can go ahead. <laughs> Unless we want to jump way ahead. So there are a couple things, uh, surely that that are interesting uh, to connect between uh, Matthew 
um, the Sermon on the Mount and this similar discourse. Um, in verse 22, we have the correct translation of this beatitude, um, which is whoever is angry with his brother shall be in danger of his judgment. And uh, as we know, the JST corrects it in the New Testament because in the New Testament it says whosoever is angry with his brother without cause, but JST eliminates or uh, omits without cause. Mm -hmm. And then here in the Book of Mormon, again, it is uh, it is omitted by uh, the by Mormon in his uh, editorial. And what's interesting about this to me is the concept, which I also found in Mosiah 18, right? Have no contention among you, right? Don't be angry with your brother. Don't reconcile that, right? Like it talks about in verse 24, go thy way unto thy brother and first be reconciled to him, right? And then come unto me. So there's this something about if you have contention in your heart, you can't fully come unto Christ. It's right there. It says it. If you want to come into Christ with full purpose of heart, okay, full purpose, I think that's the key here. Um, and this is just Shelby interpreting the scripture is not necessarily doctrine, but if you want to come into Christ in full purpose and heart, you have to eliminate as much contention as you possibly can from your life and reconcile what needs to be reconciled. So I think that's very powerful. And you know, you would read, for me, sometimes you read some of these things and you think it seems easier said than done, right? But I promise that with Christ's help, it really does make it easier. <laughs> like it sounds silly, but the reason that it sounds easy is because Christ is helping you do it. And so as you come into him and say, this is a really hard thing. I don't know if I can do it. Well, duh. He doesn't want you to do it alone. He wants you to do it with him. Once again, coming back to being with him, making a relationship with him, trusting him that he will guide you to do the things that he wants you to do and make you better in the process. Yeah. Well, next in verse 25 and 26, it's almost like a, you almost at first think that this is a, a cautionary tale that the Lord's giving, right? It says, agree with thine adversary quickly while, while thou art in the way with him, lest at any time he shall get thee and thou shalt be cast into prison. And he goes on to say that, and while ye are in, uh, in prison, can ye pay even one sinine? Uh, he's using Nephite currency, which I thought was cool. <laughs> Uh, of course, right? Verily, 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 I say unto you, nay. And so this is interesting because at first, when I'm reading it, uh, similar, you know, to to reading it in the in the New Testament, thinking about it, and um, you know, is this is this the Lord trying to say that hey, if you don't, if you don't, you know, make peace with your adversary. Um, quickly, then they, you know, they can combine against you. And then once you're in prison, you know, you can't, you can't really negotiate once you're in prison because they've got you, right? But in another 
since. I was thinking about it. I was meditating on it. <laughs> and it reminded me of something that I heard in, a, in another podcast, an, a secular podcast, earlier in the week. And it was actually on Jocko Willink's podcast. And he had a, a guest on with him, J.P. Donnell. And he was talking about how when he comes across like contentious situations or when somebody comes and, and they're trying to contend with him, maybe on a political issue or something like that, he's, he's found that uh, he can disarm the situation by saying, oh, wow, I've never thought of it that way. And instead of saying, no, you're wrong, it's uh, it just kind of disarms them by saying, you know, I'm, I'm acknowledging that you have a different opinion than I do. And so I put that in my margins beside agree with thine adversary quickly. How can we disarm the contentious uh, dialogue or contentious encounter so that we're protected spiritually and we can retain our peacemaker status in the sight of the Lord? Because when we drop down to their level of contending with our words and perhaps even with our with our weapons, right? Then we truly are we've we've lost our agency, right? We've given it away. And now who knows what's gonna happen? Maybe we go to prison. Maybe we are uh defamed, right, by society. Maybe we lose our job. You know, all these things can happen because we didn't uh, we didn't take that high moral ground. I like that. Some practical advice on how to remain a peacemaker and not give way to contention. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I really love, if it's okay to talk about, is something <laughs> I was, this was a couple weeks back when we were supposed to record this podcast, but it stood out to me just because of the contentious world that we do live in. It's verse 37. It says, but let your communication be yay, yay, nay, nay. For whatsoever, whatsoever cometh of more than these is evil. And I really thought about this because I thought, well, my question is then, if you say, I believe this, and the other person says, I believe that, <laughs> where is a healthy debate in between that? Because there is a way to have a conversation with being respectful, right? So I read this and I thought, but what about what about this scenario, right? Yay, yay, nay, nay. And what occurred to me here and what I've recently been pondering on the past couple weeks is that you stick to the facts. You stick to the truth here, right? The yay, yay, and the nay, nay. You're never attacking the person. You're never attacking the character of another person, right? You're not going for them. You're going for whatever's being debated, <laughs> right? You're not trying to attack the person that believes it if you don't agree. And and that's unfortunately the world that we live in. I mean, there's cancel culture, right? You say one wrong thing, you're immediately canceled, done, no comeback, right? And that's unfortunate because that's not all that makes that human, right? That's not all that makes them who they are. People make mistakes. In essence, you're denying them the atonement 
right? You're making, you're trying to put them in, in a, in a corner, right? Where they can't get out. And so when I read this particular verse, the yay, yay, and the nay, nay, it just reminded me that we're not looking to judge other people. We're looking at the truth and we're discerning so that we can know the good from the evil, right? So we can know what to do. And when someone says something that might be wrong, we can say, no, I don't believe that's right. Or I know that's not right. And that's it. You don't have to go into all the little details. And if they start contending with you, that's the point where you can say, yeah, I've, I've never looked at it or I haven't looked at it that way before. And you can even offer a suggestion too. Have you ever looked at it this way? Right? There's a way to have healthy talk and conversation without coming at the person. And I think you guys know what I mean by saying that. I, I don't know any other words to put it besides it's possible because Christ did it. And sometimes Christ ignored the question and answered with another question, right? Because there's there's some power in that there. So overall, this verse to me just really showed that there is power in seeking truth and then sticking to that truth and loving the person that you're talking to, right? Not condemning them, but loving them because they're not a bad person. We've talked about this before. Wickedness and that abounds, right? That person inherently is not wicked. They are just making wicked decisions, right? They have the power to change, to become righteous, right? Instantly through repentance. So it doesn't make them wicked forever. And so it's just important to remember this about human nature and being able to turn, right? And understand and kind of flip how you think about your conversation and avoiding contention with others. Now, here's the other thing is right below that verse in 39. It says, but I say unto you that ye shall not resist evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, when I was at BYU-Idaho, I listened to, I was there when this talk was given. It's by uh, Brother Pulsifer called Love Your Enemies, and we can link it. And I, I might have shared this on the podcast before. I'm not sure. But he talks about the power of turning the other cheek. And basically, I don't know how eloquently I'm going to explain this, but I'll do my best. So bear with me. <laughs> but when he says, whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. Our natural instinct is, why would we turn to him the other cheek? We want him to hit us twice? Like, what does that mean? We're supposed to, I thought we're supposed to resist the evil. <laughs> like, I don't know. That's my first uh, instinct. And it just kind of, why would you offer the other cheek? But something that, like, contextually that is given and that I learned, that I'm still learning how to teach well, by the way, is that someone's right cheek, you would have to hit them with the back of the right hand. So to backhand others in this manner and still, or to backhand others with that manner is an attempt to assert dominance. So that is... When you hit someone on the right cheek, you hit them with the back of the right hand. So you're saying, I am dominant. I am superior over you. Um, so ancient people would backhand other people they believe were subordinate or inferior. So people like servants, children, or women. Um, and some tried to strike back to assert their dominance 
but that always led to contention, like we've been talking about. So this is quoting Brother Pulsifer. He says, our Savior offered a revolutionary alternative, turn the other cheek or the left cheek. And then at first it doesn't seem significant unless you have the cultural insight here that it's impossible to use a right hand to backhand a left cheek. So just think about that for a second. It's impossible to use a right hand to backhand a left cheek. So when you offer your left cheek to strike that cheek, an attacker must use an open palm or a closed fist. So they have to use a different form, right? And in the ancient world, striking with a palm or a fist was only for people of equal social standing. So it's just very revolutionary what the Savior offers here is he's saying, offer him thy other cheek, but you're going to offer it and you're going to demand that he also respect you the way that you respect him as an equal, right? And that's really powerful in also learning how to hold conversations without without contention. I hope that made sense. It, I'll I'll link the talk, but I'm so all, it, it did. Okay, good. You're yeah. you're very insecure about it not making sense, but because it made it didn't complete make sense. sense to me the first few times that I read it and I did reread it over and over. And so as I've been teaching it over and over, I'm trying to get better at right. explaining. That's why. Well, you, yes, I am insecure and I'm trying to get better. So thank you for reassuring me. But it's yeah. We understand completely. Now, what I don't completely understand is how how it applies in every situation. So, like for example, like how do I how do I do that? What what is a practical way of doing it? Like saying, "Oh, I never thought of it that way before." Like because it's a challenge to you know, in a way, to their authority by saying, "Hey." I, if if we want to go head to head like this, we're going to come as equals. It's not going to be something that you're you're not going to be oppressing me. We're going to be going, you know, it's basically saying like we're going to war, right? I mean, that's how I see it. And yeah. so it, it kind of, it, you know, there, there's also like these, that an instance and I, we not only do we not have time. To go into it, but it's in the wrong book. It's in the Doctrine and Covenants. But there's this uh, scripture and and this section of the Doctrine and Covenants that talks about how, like, hey, if if they come against you and your family, you know, so many times, you have to come back at them, you know, in, in equal force, right? Like, and and that's what it talks about. Like when you follow the the foot. No, to this verse, it talks about forbearance and patience. And the I think the goal is just to forbear and be patient long enough for the, you know, for your moral standing and your, you know, your, uh, your status as a peacemaker to alert everyone else that, hey, something is going wrong in this situation. Not, it doesn't have to be an actual physical altercation. It can also be an attack on you because, and we've seen that in the social, uh, you know, in, in society the past decade, that things come to light. 
right? When when someone's accused, things do come to light eventually. So you asked for a practical example. Yeah. I think a practical example of maybe turning the other cheek is I'm just going to use an example of abortion. We've talked about it before, but some people believe that when a baby is conceived, right? They're just they're just a fetus. They're not actually a human being or a spirit, right? And that's why they believe you can abort them, right? And then we believe that at the time of conception, I mean that that is a child, right? That is somebody that is going to be born. And so if you're coming at an argument about abortion, well, why don't you offer your cheek and say, what does abortion mean to you? What's the definition of abortion? Or what's the definition of a fetus, right? Like these definitions, because if you're arguing on different definitions, you're going to get nowhere besides contention, right? So what is what is the definition of what you're arguing with? That What's the word that you're not agreeing on? And then from that point, look at truth, look at facts, look at science, right? Like that's what I would start to do. Look at the facts there. Once yeah. you can agree on a definition, but if you have different definitions of whatever it is, and I just gave the example of abortion, but if you, whatever it is, take that example, you probably aren't defining the things the same way, which is what's leading to the contention. So let's level the playing field and find the true definition, right? Okay. I don't know. I like that. So, um, great discussion. (laughs) I, I felt like I talked a lot, but really, um, practical for me to try to understand how to avoid contention, right? How to really truly be a peacemaker, which is what Christ is trying to say here. He's saying all these things in this chapter just to help us become better and become more like him, right? To truly become like our savior and resist the temptations and and contentions of the devil. Yeah. Well, the last thing that I have it goes along with that that uh, thought or that subject of like human nature. Yeah. Um, and this one hits close to home, and and I I talked about it um, in our episode that is over Mosiah chapter four, which is King Benjamin talking about you know how we need to deal with like. Uh, generosity, like generously giving to those in need, right? So I put in here on verse 42 uh, of this chapter, 35, chapter 12. It says, give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away, right? And it goes into also like loving thy neighbor, and things like that. Um, but I thought it was interesting that we're actually going to get more insight on this in the next chapter when Jesus talks about the intent of our generosity and the extent to which we're expected to give. And so I thought I thought it was interesting. Um, it's something that I want to go back and listen to my own thoughts <laughs> because that was, you know, uh, pushing like almost two, maybe two and a half years ago. I I don't know if I've made enough progress on this of of being more uh, charitable to those who are in need 
that, you know, and, and this specifically, like, we're not talking about like people who benefit from fast offerings or things like that. You know, I'm talking about people who are, you know, out on the street, you know, peddling for money and things like that. We talked about it in that episode uh, over Mosiah chapter four, when it's something that, that I recognize that I was, uh, I'm deficient in. And then, you know, meanwhile, I, I look and say, okay, well, what's my intent for, you know, not wanting to give just like you need to be uh, clear on your intent to give, right? Mm -hmm. Is it to be seen of men, right? Or is it to uh, serve your father in heaven? The same thing, like what's my intent at being resistant to it? Is it because I'm selfish or is it because I'm judging righteously, right? So you need to you need to make sure and keep those in check. That's what the Lord is doing here, right? These this these chapters and these teachings are all about keeping us in check from falling to the natural man, the tendencies of human nature, which are you know are of the fallen world, right? So so much to learn, so much wisdom to to receive from the Savior from the master we just have to we just have to get it and we get it by feasting upon the words mm -hmm. of christ yep so well that's all we got for you uh kevin already mentioned it in the beginning of this episode but we will have a guest on next podcast who we're very excited for and we will see you in third nephi chapter 13 yep thanks y'all thanks bye My dear brothers and sisters, I promise that as you prayerfully study the Book of Mormon every day, you will make better decisions every day. I promise that as you ponder what you study, the windows of heaven will open and you will receive answers to your own questions and direction for your own life.